three, two, one, go. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor. Well, wait a minute. Let me back oh, that up Calvin. Uh, I'm formally that thing that I was about to say, but really now I have in my semi-retired state. I'm the. Uh, I continue to be the editor of PW Comics World, sort of editor of the Fanatic, PW's twice a month pop culture uh, and comics newsletter. And you can check all of this out on PublishersWeekly.com/slash/comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter, while it's around, at <laughs> P, at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the Apple Podcast app, on Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. And on Facebook, we're on Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. And don't forget, you could leave us a rating or a comment or some kind of measure of what you think of this podcast, because we love to hear from our listeners. All right, drop us a note, why don't you? All right, this week on More to Come, Comixology, Bloodbath, Your Comics, Shuttered, Big Problems at Heavy Metal, Webtoon, <laughs> Depression, Sales Charts, Job Moves, uh, and a wonderful brand new standalone 2023 comics and graphic novel announcement issue, which we're going to talk quite a bit about with the editor of it, PW Graphic Novels Review Editor Meg Limke. Yeah, this is really, uh, I've said many times in the podcast about moments that are a mic drop for Calvin and Kate and I, where I feel like, you know, my job is done. And, uh, this standalone P, uh, PW Comics and Graphic Novels announcements issue is a big mic drop, and we're so glad that Meg is here to join us and talk about it. Okay, uh, listeners, we've got a special guest on today's show, and she's so special, I get so excited, my <laughs> starts booming, I start projecting, uh, but it's Meg <laughs> Lemke, PW's Graphic Novels Review Editor, and Meg is going to be here to tell us a little bit about the 2023, uh, spring, spring 2023 graph, comics and graphic novels announcements feature, our first ever standalone comics announcement. So this is a landmark for Publishers Weekly. We hope it'll have the same impact on the larger comics and graphic novel publishing community. It is all-encompassing. Uh, it's actually something that actually I fought against for a number of years. But, Why? Well, we can, we can get into yeah. that. Why? But, you know, we live in a different world now, in a different world. And Heidi and I have talked about this. A different, and, and you, the K2. Uh, in, than what we started in many years ago. And I think the time is right. So, hey, Kate, welcome uh, to More to Come. Of course, you've been on More to Come before. Okay, Meg. You just said hi, Kate. Oh, sorry. Hi, Meg. Hi, Meg. <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. I really brought the giggles in with you guys. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, well, this is unscripted. So, yes. Hey, Meg. Hi, everyone. Um, should we talk right away about why Calvin didn't want to do this and why it was a good idea? Well, tell us. Tell us first what it is. How, no, tell yeah, us. let's back up and say what it is. Okay, so tell us so, how it came about. There you go. Right. So, Publishers Weekly 
uh, produces seasonal announcements. It's a regular part of our work and it does come out of the reviews department. So it's the role that I have um, for the adult reviews department is the comics and graphic novel reviews, editing them, which is assigning them and editing them. And we do a preview issue that's like looking ahead at what's coming up the next season. And it's an annual feature twice a year. It's a biannual feature. And we have always had comics within the other adult titles, right? So we've had fiction, nonfiction comics, but the desire from our readers essentially was to have one issue that wouldn't, that would be all comics. So we could have not just the adult comics, but the young adult comics, the middle grade comics and the manga um, and put it all together. So we have a much more expansive look at what was coming up in the next season in its own issue. And there's something about that as a resource that's really helpful. So if you're a buyer for comics or you're someone interested or a rights person who's really trying to look at comics, graphic novels, you have one place to look across ages and stages, as we say in the you know educational world. And, um, and genres, because each of the sections at different ages will be a big span of genres. We don't break up in genres in the sections, but we did sidebars in this issue that spotlight different kind of very popular perennial categories and genres within the overall medium. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's fantastic. And, uh, as someone who did the announcements, uh, I think, I think originally it, they just poured it in like some kind of output of some kind of database and did it that way. And then back in the time the foggy passed to PW, then they, there came a day when they said the section editors will do announcements. And that was the day my troubles began. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so Calvin, why were you against it? Well, it, you know, if you read, if I, as I recall, uh, you had to in your first time doing it, because I'm talking about when Heidi was originally doing the same right. job, you really had to go out and talk to publishers yourself yeah. as well. But, but internally, um, my whole battle at Publishers Weekly is to make comics, uh, but to bring comics coverage and uh, to, to, to bring it alongside of all of the rest of the coverage of the book world, to make, to institutionalize comics as books within PW's various systems for covering the industry. It was a long-time struggle. It was a great breakthrough to get comics to be included along with the other book categories. So I was somewhat living in the past. Uh, and actually, I started to realize that, the, that we, we live in a different world now. We live in a world where there's huge output uh, from uh, both the conventional book company, uh, the book industry and the conventional comics industry. The book industry is a focus now. There's an enormous amount of stuff published. There's, a, there's an explosion of genres. We've gone beyond the one genre marketplace. And you know what? Um, just as Meg said, uh, the market is demanding it. They want more kids and graphic novels. They want I'm, more adult. They want more manga. So I'm just it's to, time. And just to really put this in perspective, you know, I mean, when I did it, it was just adult graphic novels. And a little bit of manga, and sometimes I would steal a kid's book from from uh, Diane Ruback, our kid's uh, book editor. But Meg, you did it all. Yes. You did adult, middle grade, and YA. How did you do yes, it? That's my How question. did you do it? That's my question. It was a lot of work, which I would love to get into the weeds of. But to just talk about Calvin's resistance, I think it's actually really interesting because we see these shifts and ways of thinking 
uh, and sort of like protective ways of thinking across the industry. And that I think Calvin was trying so hard for so long to have comics, you know, integrated and seen as literature that now that's been so much truth in how publishing has grown that there's too many of them to segment out. It was narrowing our focus uh, to keep just one short list within the overall general books announcements and there aren't and it's not the only category that's been broken out um so we've we just saw so much growth that like it actually had flipped where there was a way to spotlight it wasn't um pigeonholing it or pushing it to the side it's actually giving it a much more of a center stage and i think that's what was the shift in the thinking at pw that convinced myself and calvin and i really you know i was ready to be convinced when calvin was too because I, I feel like we worked we have always worked really well as a team so- um what other genres were broken out in this way? Well, I mean, religion has its own issue, which is interesting. I wouldn't say they're parallel, <laughs> but I think it's interesting. And children's has its own uh, announcements issue. I think that the idea is essentially if there's an issue that there's going to be enough of um, a buyer dedicated to that, uh, they want to have an issue that they can pick up and take home and have just for them to really go deep in. So it's somewhat responding to the fact that librarians who, uh, for example, will be the ones in the collections building comics are, are p- often building them across adult and children's and young adults. Mm-hmm. Like they're buying the comics for the entire library or possibly library system. So this allows them to have one point or one resource, like literally bound up the print edition to go to. Um, and it's going to hopefully going forward, give publishers, you know, a timing that they can think about for literally scheduling their book dates, you know, thinking about when they need to get their announcements in, which kind of goes back to Heidi's question of how we did this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because part of that we we decided to this mid stream of like doing the regular announcement schedule. So there was a lot of like double backing and talking to the pub- publishers and saying like I know you thought you'd already sent me all the information. You did not. <laughs> Please tell me about your teen comics. It was the hardest. People just did not want to sh- let me know that YA comics are coming, but we really got it together. Um, but, you know, I think what Heidi was referring to about it, it originally porting in, I think there used to be like an undifferentiated phone book style to announcements. This is not every book publishing in the spring. This is an, a, an edited curated list of highlights. So we have both like the top 10 and then we do highlights for as many different publishers as we can as we can feature in the space allowed. So that's sort of how the balance looks. The long list isn't like um, the also ran of the top 10. It's really its own breadth and depth highlight to say like, who, how can we show a book or three from each publisher that is doing comics or imprint that is to kind of give a flavor. And then the idea is that buyers will know like, Oh, what, you know, Princeton is now doing comics or Chronicle is doing graphic novels. Like let's go to their catalog and see if there's more. And then for each category, we get to have a top 10. Um, and this is the first time we've had a top, we should have top five for manga because mm-hmm. we, we need more manga being sent to us on time and, to, you know, announced on time or allowed to be announced on time to have a longer list. So I'm hoping that will be true in the fall. We'll see. Jumping so, ahead. I mean, Meg, that's the other thing that super impressed me about it is that you do have a separate manga list with, you know, top right. five. Are, are there 60 titles? I believe the cutoff was 60 titles, right? Is it 60 or how many? But not for manga. So for manga, we don't have 60. I think she's got about, I have to count them. Um, it's less than 60. So the okay. other lists have up to 60 total and YA doesn't have quite 60 either. I think they have maybe four. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see in the next issue, we may have up to 60. But that's why we did a shorter top five because we just didn't so this have is, data just, on more. 
just to be clear, you are doing this again for the fall. Yeah. That's the plan. The plan is going to be twice a year. So, so Kate, what did, uh, Kate, I'm sorry, I'm doing it too okay. because we're just so <laughs> used to Kate being the other person here. Not just me. It's Meg. Okay. Sorry okay. about that. Meg. Meg Lemke. Meanwhile, Kate is still here. Yes. Kate. Yeah. Sorry, Kate. Do you have any questions? Well, Heidi wanted to go. So uh, Heidi goes. Yeah. Just real fast. Um, did you? Uh, I mean, talking about you know publishers, and it's interesting you say that the kids publishers didn't want to give you any information. But were there any publishers that you talked to about this being a standalone who really got it and were you know saw the potential of it? Oh, and that's not what I mean about the kids publishers. They absolutely did want to provide it. They actually. I mean, some of this just seems like too insider baseball, but the there's we do have a call for submissions and publishers send them in through a portal and then I get that data and they send in them into the children's departments for their overall listings and children's like sorted out the comics, but a lot of comics publishers don't traditionally report to the children's department of PW. So I actually got all the I got all of the you know your random house graphics. Um, first, second, all of our trade houses that typically publish middle grade comics, those showed up easily. What I had to track down were the diamond distributed publishers who publish. <laughs> they don't, they don't typically, no, I'm not calling them out. I'm saying they don't typically <laughs> submit to the trade children's side. They just, are, it's on their radar. So I'm putting it on their radar. So there was a little bit more, um, outreach in yeah. that. And, and I was just, I didn't, I mean, I think this is like, Heidi, you and I talked about this being an open secret. There's such growth in middle grade that in, in dividing out young adult and middle grade, I was surprised by how many more middle grade titles I had than YA. I mean, I knew there was that differential, but I needed to make, I needed to really do more outreach, whereas I was having to cut my darlings in middle grade, whereas I had to really look around and make sure I had enough YA and teen to, to make up enough of a list that I could pick a top 10 and justify that. And then we got there and I feel really good about it. Um, and with manga, I mean, I knew we wanted to make that a separate category. I think the, the, the trick there that we'll have to deal with going forward and we're starting it now is that a lot of the publishers aren't ready to announce on the, the long lead times. It's very hard. So, to, uh... Right. So we feel good about what we got and I'm hoping that seeing the impact of this issue will convince more of those publishers to announce more on our timeline and then we'll be able to include them. Um, so, so I want to ask you something mm-hmm. that's maybe a, a little servicey, a little less insider baseball, uh, which is first off, when can our listeners find this coverage? Yes. Thank you, Kate. Um, you know, Calvin and Heidi and I in a room is real deep. You <laughs> weeds real quick. Um, so this is currently available at published in print on the 16th, so Monday the 16th this week. So you you can get it on your newsstand, and it's also available without a paywall online at Publishers Weekly. Already? Or when will it become available? Right. It's currently open, and I have been tweeting it madly. <laughs> and if I may say so, it was the lead story in The Fanatic this week. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. And yes, so, so, Meg, uh, will we be able to find it at publishersweekly.com slash comics, or is it under a different... I mean, currently it's on the main page, but yes, it's under announcements, actually. You can it's under announcements. You can okay. find it at Publishers Weekly, 
Com slash PW by topic new titles index. <laughs> if you look but, under home to announcements, it's right on the top adult announcements. Oh, all right. So I was just asking because we've trained our listeners to go to the publishersweekly.com slash comics for the comics coverage. So I just wanted to make clear to our listeners, like, don't panic if you don't see it under that tab. You'll find it right yes. on the main landing page. But believe me, they'll, they'll find it there because I'm going to put it up there. <laughs> so it will be at com slash comics in the next 24 hours. Oh, I want. It's amazing what we can do with technology. Yes. And we can cross post. I just need to post it yet, which I haven't done yet. (laughs) They haven't split also, you know, well, it doesn't matter. You'll be able to find it online. You can, (laughs) you can go to the, you know, you can definitely go to Fanatic. It's it's been posted on social media and I'm going to post it on more social media. So yeah. Yeah. We're talking about the lists, which are the, bulk of it, the heart of the announcements issue. But the other thing that was like completely thrilling to me is they really went all in with this issue. We have an editorial cover that the comics. That's oh yeah. Comic yes. We have a profile. We have a Q and A in the, like all of, like all of those regular features turned comics in this yeah. issue. So can you tell us a little bit about who's featured in these? Yeah. Yes, I will. So the editorial cover is Darren Bell, the Pulitzer um, editorial cartoonist, and he has a graphic memoir coming out this spring. So this is actually also unusual. Usually to get the editorial cover, you have your review in that issue. So it's atypical that we are putting an advanced announced book. And I felt like uh, in recommending him for the editorial cover, he has a lot of stature. And it's exciting to have a debut book coming from a strip cartoonist, you know, so many years. Um, it's in our top 10 announcements. It's called The Talk. Syndicated cartoonists in Pulitzer Winterbell explores in a graphic memoir the conversations the black parents are forced to have with their children about police violence. And I've seen it and it's being reviewed currently and we'll get that review up, you know, also forthcoming. But um, that's really exciting. And, and Bell actually drew himself. It's a self-portrait. So typically that's a photo cover. Um, it's also unusual. PW is, you know, more traditionalist and they want to have photos. Even if it's a cartoonist, they always have portraits that are author photos. But in this case, it's an illustrated um, cover. So it's an you know, original illustration for BW, which is exciting. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a great cover, and, and it's uh, kind of groundbreaking, too, as you mm. mentioned. Interestingly, PW issues uh, traditionally have a wraparound cover because there's an ad on the cover. Right. And in this case, just to, you know, uh, is from Mad Cave. Yeah. And uh, they have Hunt, Kill, Repeat on the front. And um, they are – it's interesting. You know, just interesting. We've been talking – a lot about Mad Cave here and uh, the fact that they bought this cover, uh, you know, shows they're investing. And who's the profile, uh, uh, Meg? So the profile, which I got to write, which was also delightful for me, um, is Julia Wirtz, uh, who I am a long time fan of. And Julia's new book is called Impossible People. It's her recovery story, and it's being published by Black Doll and Le- Black Dog and Leventhal. Uh, also, th- interestingly, that is the first graphic memoir the Black Dog and Leventhal have published. You know, they're um, they published her architectural book, you know, her drawings of urban architecture in New York City, and that did really well as New York Times notable. So when she came to them with their graph with a graphic memoir, they picked it up. And it's a two book deal. She has another book coming after this. I don't get into that in the profile. Um, Julia was always, you know, if you know Julia's work, you know, she does not hold back. So it's a really like frank, yeah. sassy 
profile and I there's so much more I would have loved to publish in it you know we have pretty as as it as it goes you have only a certain amount of space but she's yeah, and I just started reading it and it looks great she's pretty hilarious I really would love people to, to see that and then the Q&A was actually um done by Cheryl Klein who's a PW reviews um, reviews writer and she interviewed Adam Bessie who has a book coming out called Going Remote, um, and it is a jointly published project yes. with Seven Stories and Censored Press, and that's coming out in March. And the artist is Peter Glanting. Yeah. Adam is also an, an, a cartoonist as well as a writer, so it's interesting. That happens sometimes. I think it's interesting. Cartoonists um, mm-hmm. will, will you know, ask a different cartoonist to take on the work. Um, can, and- I, can I add also that uh, we have an excerpt from uh, Going Remote, uh, it publishes wiki.com slash comics. We do. Um, I was, that's independent too. Calvin picked that while well, I picked it for the top 10. And yes. we had yeah. There's just, great minds think alike. It's, you know, it's about, it's called a teacher's journey, going remote a teacher's journey. Adam is a, a community college educator. It's about 2020 and what happened. He also was dealing with, um, going through treatment for cancer for a brain tumor at the same time. So he's very much like the person who most needed to be protected while he's dealing with the tragedy and crises of his students who he draws as little black boxes. There's a lot of um, dystopian sci-fi imagery in the work. It's a really profound book you know, from the ground of an educator during the shutdown. So how long did it take you to get together this, you know, double issue, super special? It took me months, actually. It took longer than it, it should in the future. We'll see. Well, you deserve a medal. <laughs> Thank you. It's so funny. I feel like it does not, I don't know, whatever, like everything takes longer to write than it looks like, right? Yeah. The, the thing about listings is that they are short. That is, that is their design. But to get to them, and that's what I was saying, it's they're curated listings. So they're not everything we receive. We receive a lot of submissions. And then a lot of the work, which I find really interesting, it's specific to each category. Like my colleagues in fiction are dealing with, general fiction dealing with a different problem. But it's it's both cutting down the publishers who very graciously sent longer lists so I can find the highlights and then trying to figure out the gaps. Like, who are we missing? Who had their fourth publicist in the last six months? You know, and I have to figure out who it is. <laughs> and, or the same one, the same one who I always write to, and it makes me feel like the biggest nag. I'm like, hi again. <laughs> I'm totally the person to who, like, forwarded the email I sent before. <laughs> Here we go. Can that's you just three months ago. Calvin, didn't you do announcements once? No, I never Yes, did. when I was on maternity leave, you did. did. You did. I, you, yeah, you did, Calvin. Did, I, don't, I don't even remember this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall ever doing the announcements. I have a lot of thoughts about that. that is I, did, I, them. I helped you do them. You I did them when I was on maternity I, leave, Calvin. When I, I was having my newest baby, my most recent baby, you did them then. Wait, what, what man? He did them when I was on maternity leave. That's when he did them. When I was on maternity leave, when Baker was born, my second child. What I'm pointing out is that (laughs) it's so much work that Calvin has has blanked out. He has totally, like, what's the word, suppressed, repressed, oppressed, 
the memory of doing forecasts and, or excuse me, announcements because it can be so hellacious. <laughs> I just feel like it sounds like we're exaggerating, Heidi, but it's hard to explain. Well, not exaggerating. Clearly, I need yeah. to retire. I mean, I am just, I, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of what you did. I am like, too. I really am in awe of what you did. I, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm, we're talking about how time consuming it is because it's this sort of, it's like both like, stemming the tide and like trying to figure out what to focus on with a lot of data coming in and then also chasing people at the same time but it's really a privilege I mean it's really a wonderful part of what I love about this job is being able to see so much like a, such a big uh, view of the comics publishing industry and then the ability to say here are the titles that I am personally excited about and who I think the readership should be excited about which doesn't mean that they're all my personal favorites but what I, I do certainly try and think about you know what are what our readership would be paying attention to and why. Um, and then to highlight books, which are often not necessarily the lead titles that the publishers are going forward with, but what we think are kind of just gems too in the long list is really a, a privilege. So what's your favorite part of this issue? Ooh, I mean, I definitely liked getting to talk to Julia. Um, that was really lovely. However, a big highlight for me was during the middle grade list because we all know like middle grade graphic novels are booming and yes. we say booming a lot, but it's true. <laughs> it was really, it's quite funny. The echoes you threw in the list, like it's like everything is a Yeti that someone's chasing and they're always like going on a road trip with their dad. It's just, there's like, you know, you see the same themes coming up, but I have an 11 year old. So she's like peak middle grade graphic novel reader. I mean, she's in sixth grade. She has like a stack going all the time. She brings a comic to breakfast. It's really, <laughs> so it was very, it was just lovely to like jump into that, to see some of her favorites, to see people who I knew much earlier in the industry who were doing their first book in this space. Um, and they're, they're taking on some really thoughtful topics and there's so much room to explore because it's been such a huge investment of um, acquisitions and then you see like the work from editors like Kiara at First Second and other people who are now like getting to be really mid career, who were early career during the onset of this kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, consumption of this work. Um, my original introduction for that, you know, my Johnny, my boss had to cut it way down was like, I don't know what it is, like 15. It's been 15 years since Smile published. You know, like we were talking about the fact that like you see the people who read Raina's work now creating their own books. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so meaningful and you really can tell in the, both in the influence and how um, innovative. So both in the influence and what they're do, how they're leaping off from that and creating their own style and voice. Thank you. So Mick, uh, I'm just going to wrap this segment yes, up. Yes. Yes. But is there anything that we've missed that you really want to let us know? I just want to give a nod to Shannon Garrity who wrote up the manga list. Yeah. So, Oh yeah. We, we started with me working on that, and then I just looked at myself in the eyes, you know, the mirror, and said, "Shane, and uh, someone who is one of our reviewers, who's a specialist in manga, is a much better fit to take this on." And so she really dove into that and did the work, and she pulled together a great list. Great. Thank you so much. Great. All right. So, Meg, I look forward to um, seeing you on the podcast again, and uh, thanks for calling in. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you, Meg. Congratulations. Okay, congrats. This is really amazing. And there will be definitely more to come on this yes. in the fall. Yes. Thank you all. Heidi and Calvin, I owe it all to you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Well, uh, that was great. And, you know, I want to say, Calvin, when you did the story rundown, you did a lot of bad stuff. And a lot of bad stuff happened in this 
in the, yeah. the, the graphic novel world. Now, sorry, Kate, you're going to hear some rustling papers because I want to turn to the story because Russell, Russell, at the same time uh, that we had this graphic novels, we also uh, believe Jim Milliot had, well, it's not in this issue, but anyway, he did the sales chart yeah. for the year yeah. and graphic novel, uh, before yeah. you hear all this bad stuff we're about to talk about, graphic novel sales were up 4.6% yeah. in 2022. Yes. And they were on the adult fiction list, the third largest category. I repeat, the third yeah. largest category with 36 million units sold. Yes. Yeah, now, and, and I mean, if you ask people out there, if you stop them at random on the street and said, how many graphic novels, adult, this is not kids, yeah. you guys, this is not, this is not Dogman and Reina, this is adult. Now it's manga, okay, but still, if you yeah. said, how many adult graphic novels do you think were sold last year? They'd say, oh, two million, five million. I mean, we should do it. We should do a man on person on the street interviews. But no, it was 36 million. Okay. Third biggest category after romance, which was the biggest, hottest category of the year. Thanks to what's her name? Colleen Hoover. Anyways, look, (laughs) last year was a great year. You're going to hear some bad news and what we're about to say. But there's a lot of strength and good news out there, too. And I think a lot of the things that we're talking about, like comicsology, are a result of the larger world and the larger tech meltdown. That, you know, There's a lot of meltdowns happening out there, and comics and graphic novels are caught up in it. It's very serious, and we need to look at it. But we're coming from a position of extreme strength. Yes. Yeah. So let's get into the dark stuff. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, you know. Now, that said, That's what sad. in the hell That's is going sad. on at Comic okay. I mean, in some ways, <laughs> the other shoe is dropping. Uh, I mean, all across um, uh, tech platforms. Uh, just the other thing, where, just as Heidi put it, where the, what the larger forces, the larger eco- economic forces are going on, they're intersecting with our little world of comics here as well. Because, I mean, what's happening at Amazon is also happening at what? At Microsoft? Uh, yeah. and the other big tech, everywhere, but, everywhere, yeah. all of our, you know, tech giant overlords that we thought were unassailable yeah. a- appear to be very saleable. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> assailable. And, uh, yeah, so Amazon laid off, I think 18, was it 18,000 people? Uh, I think, well, the embassy was it right. Microsoft is 10,000. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was Amazon a lot. Is, yeah, it's it a was lot. a lot. And um, I don't know if you guys, uh, I actually have been working on a story all day. Today, Thursday, uh, you know, the news of it dropped and they said that uh, 75, 50 to 75% of the workforce have been laid off. Yeah. Uh, I've confirmed today, unfortunately, that pretty much everybody who had comiXology in their job title, their job has been eliminated. Now, my understanding is that there will be, uh, there was a bunch of people who got laid off yesterday. There's another group that's going to be sticking around to kind of put, you know, finish up some obligations and that will probably go for half sweep a year. Sweep up and clean it. And, and then there's the a, doors. but then there's a final little sweep up group that will kind of transition to whatever, uh, happens to graphic novels on Amazon and, uh, however they are edited for guided view or, you know, yeah. uh, translated or, you know, formatted basically. And, um, but yeah, pretty much, I mean, I'm not confirmed. I have not been able to confirm that comicsology originals is finished. Um, yeah. I'd be very, very surprised if it wasn't. I would be too. But, um, um, yeah, this is pretty much just what we all feared would happen has happened. 
It is sad. Uh, it's 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 really sad. And I think that that projected number of eighteen thousand. I think you're right. I think that's what the number is flowing out around there about the projected layoffs at, at Amazon. Um. Uh. Yeah. I mean, it does pretty much leaves me speechless. I mean, uh, uh, as comics comicsology was integrated further into Amazon, obviously layoffs uh, usually follow. Yeah. Um, uh, but this is uh, what we're what we're seeing here is really devastating, uh, and it does make you wonder just how they're able to serve this market anymore. Well, I mean, the, the comics yeah. are there clearly, but. Um, it almost yeah. makes you wonder what was the point of buying Comixology if they were going to do this? If they didn't keep the software, if they didn't keep the people, what was the point? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, listen, this is kind of how big. Look, I've been talking to a lot of people today, so much that my head is a complete jumble. I don't remember who said what, so preserve the anonymity of my sources. But uh, a couple people who are in the tech sector have pointed out to me this is just what companies do. Yeah. This is just how it goes. Uh, you know, and uh, I am not um, setting aside the sorrow that we feel for Comixology because Comics is a community and the folks at Comixology were part of that community. Yeah. And there's been an outpouring on Twitter of yeah. Comics Pros just talking about um, how being on Submit and being on Originals helped them in their career, you know? I mean, remember Comixology Submit? This oh, was yeah, a, absolutely. This absolutely. was a huge, there's so this many is, things. Yeah, and, and curated self-publishing portal. Yes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I understand that, and I knew from the beginning that Amazon wanted to buy it and absorb it, but it seems like they haven't absorbed it. They've just deleted it. Well... Look, I, yeah. I don't think that's, I, yeah, I, I won't think, say that. I, yeah. I think you'll be able to buy digital comics yes. on the Kindle store. Yeah. You know, one of the, but you were able to do yes. that before. Yes. Well, yes. and, and they do have a dedicated section. Uh, you know, the, 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 the reading technology has improved from what it was originally. Uh, obviously if you bought comics there, you still have those comics. Yeah. I mean, um, what, what, well, I, mean, what I don't know how to describe what's, what's happened here. Yeah. It's a big crappy thing. That's uh, what it well, is. Yeah, but I just, I just wonder what, what Amazon got for the money they spent for Comixology because they, got, they didn't keep, they didn't keep the staff. They didn't keep the name. They didn't keep the tech. What on earth did they get out of it? Uh, well, they got a massive trove of content and, um, they certainly have a huge data on how they've sold it in the past. That will help them sell it to some extent in the future. That makes but, sense. But but what you know, what tech platforms well, do is they automate, and I'm sure they feel like they don't need bodies to do what uh, the algorithm can do for them. Well, uh, I am told uh, early indications are that it will probably be outsourced to people in India. Oh, no doubt. So, you know, no which doubt. is again what yeah. tech companies do. And, um, you know, I've said all along, if you look at my very first article about the acquisition, I compared it to Zappos, you know, mm. and comics, uh, Amazon, pardon me, has bought a lot of companies in its day. And yeah. some of them, like Audible, Audible got completely subsumed into Amazon. They just learned how to do it, and then, yeah. so, you know, they just sell tons and tons and tons yeah. of audiobooks I mean, they use now. They the brand, but, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, but yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, Comixology is like Audible. And, you know, Kate, you asked, what do they get out of it? You know, that's what they got out of yeah. it. They bought up a competitor, 
and um, got some of their technology, and uh, there you go. Now, but you know, Zappos is an interesting case. Zappos is a shoe store, and I, I always say this, but I guess shoes are just more interesting to people than books or audiobooks <laughs> and, or comics in some ways. And, you know, because Zappos does remain as a standalone uh, portal to buy shoes that has a lot more, you know, you can search for shoes by heel height and by color. And, you know, it just has a lot of things that Amazon proper doesn't offer. Mm-hmm. And also, unlike Amazon proper, you don't need to worry about them being fake mm-hmm. because they come directly from the shoe manufacturer instead of yeah. Yeah. random Amazon vendor number five. That's true. That's true. You know, you know, I'll say one other thing that seems to be playing into this also. I mean, I mean, we're constantly getting reports of uh, the possibility of a recession. Uh, and this is also something that companies do when there is this sort of fear, projection, cautioning about an economic downturn. They lay people off. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I know that. You but know, it's, all of this is kind of coming together. Yeah. But I think what's a little surprising to me is that Comixology had really good tech. And from the sounds of it, from what we've seen of it, it looks like the Kindle didn't absorb much of that tech. Mm-hmm. And then they had people with a lot of industry knowledge. And I thought, well, at least they're keeping those. I mean, probably not all of them. They'll probably lay off maybe 80%, but they're going to keep, you know, the, the top performers at the top who give them some know-how or they can consult. They it doesn't seem to have even kept that. Mm-hmm. So it's just... It seems like a waste. There, listen, there it seems was, like a waste. It is a big waste, and uh, and you know yeah. what is really frustrating a lot of people. And we've mentioned this before. Is just that Comicsology, the website, had so much information, all of it gone, like tears in the rain. Uh, I to, almost wonder if someone could buy it back from Amazon. It's thing. gone, baby. It's There's, gone. That's not it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Um, and uh, the other thing I was going to say is I don't remember what I was going to say. So. Anyway. Because, I mean, as as we're criticizing right now, I mean, sales are going to continue. They are. And to me, <laughs> that is what I was going to say. Look, the biggest question of all here is, you know, setting aside the human toll of this yeah. happening, uh, is how are publishers, gra- you know, how are their digital sales, you know? And... There are several new digital, newish digital platforms that are trying to create a stake in this. I mean, Global Comics, we've had them on the mm-hmm. podcast. We had them on the podcast, I think, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still around. They're still growing. I just, somebody literally just tweeted at me, a new, another new platform called Omnibus. Um, so, you know, it's back to, uh, 2008. <laughs> we're with all these little companies kind Everybody of trying to be the new comicsology. We we're really entering a new stage of digital publishing also. I yes. Mean, the webtoon yes. apps and the, the, the web mobile comics have kind of uh, changed the question of how and what native digital comics are. Right. So, Do we know how much Steinberger got for comicsology? No. No. Uh, no. No, they kept no, that quiet. Nobody okay. ever said, no, yeah. I've never heard that number leak. No, I, I, no I said how many figures it was. But, but uh, hey, listen, and also we do it every time we talk about the story. I want to give a shout out to David Steinberger. You know, yeah, he did something it, yeah. special. Yeah. He did something very special with Comixology. And, you know, the folks who worked at Comixology uh, are the only tech people in comics. You know, it's really the only mm-hmm. comics tech company. And um, listen, uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out of this for sure. This is a 
a hell of a lot more to come on this. Well, hopefully this will be like Xerox was for um, the personal computing revolution, that um, comiXology may be gone, but its tech legacy, the people who came up under it, um, the ideas that came out under it, will help diffuse and spawn a new generation of comics tech. Mm -hmm. And the audience that it aggregated. I mean, it aggregated a massive audience of people who were looking for comics. And who may be ready to buy the next thing. That's right. And look, there's something that a couple people pointed out to me today um, is that integrating digital comic sales into the most effective sales platform Mm -hmm. that's ever existed is not by an Stand, you know, taken in at its own, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay. No, it's, it's, it's not ju- yeah. bad. It's just, I was never against the idea of Amazon buying it or even rebranding it as Amazon. I just think it's a shame that they jettisoned some of the good parts yes. yeah, that could have actually right. helped them. Absolutely. But yeah. whatever. Yeah. Well, right. well, Comicsology is only one of the companies in distress this week. Um, yes. speaking of digital comics, uh, I wrote a short story. Uh, for Publishers Weekly, it's pretty short because we really don't know that much about it. But, you know, basically, Isneo, which is the comicsology of Europe, yes. uh, is closing down its non-French language portals. So there was an English language portal where you could go buy English language comics that, or even, you know, just an English language so you could buy French comics. Gone, gone, gone. And also, Europe comics, uh, which we've talked about so many times here, and yeah. our good mm-hmm. friend, Nazalika Jurgen, uh, you know, such a good friend of the show. Uh, you know, Meg and Nazali mm-hmm. work together quite a bit too. I'm sure if Meg was here, she'd yeah. be praise her. Anyway, Europe Comics was a wonderful digital portal for English language European yeah. comics. And they are just, they're going to be releasing a few books, but yeah. they are, as they put it, shutting down consumer facing operations. Yeah. Well, Europe Comics also was, uh, very, they were a very important, uh, initiative because not only did they offer Digital sales of English, of European comics in English translation. They offered right sales mm-hmm, also. Mm-hmm. So they really were kind of key in kind of really opening up the market. I mean, for years we've seen European comics sort of fall flat. You know, there obviously there were some big names that uh, created an American market, but they never put the time into market and promote their artists here. And Europe comics really did that. They, as, as your story points mm-hmm, out, mm-hmm. uh, they were at comics festivals and conventions all over the country, all over North America. Mm-hmm, yeah. Unfortunately, while it may have been punching above its weight within the industry, industry facing, consumer facing, I don't know, it, it just, the PR wasn't there, the, the catchiness wasn't there, it just, I don't know. Maybe they needed a younger uh, person doing their social media. Well, I don't know, yeah, but they well, just—they yeah. didn't. They were one of those things that was brilliant and useful, and spread the word and helped mm. a lot of European comics get a print deal mm-hmm. in the yeah, U.S. That's yeah. it. Absolutely, and they yeah. did a lot of great things. But as far as consumers went, it was sadly obscure. Well, I think you're right, and I. But I, I to be honest, I do think both. These companies uh, were started by the late, great yeah. Sophie Castile. She was like a the yeah. director of like kind of licensing at MediaTune, which is a huge French publisher that actually owns Abrams yeah. here in the U.S., um, but also Dupuis and Dargo in France. Uh, and I'm pretty sure this was her vision 
Um, I mean, her, you know, she had a vision of getting European comics a higher profile in the United States, and you know, Europe comics absolutely did that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? absolutely. And and I understand what Kate's saying, but I. I because I don't think consumer sales were, were, were no, was no, the big no. part. No, no, no. Look, it says at the bottom of the website, you know, paid for by the European yeah, Arts so they, Union. They, they, they were, they were yeah, their grant. funding ran yeah, out is absolutely. what happened. But they yeah. certainly they brought more European artists over to meet fans than, than had ever happened before. And once again, right sales. And we've seen an explosion, a spike in the number of right sales yeah. for European comics. Absolutely. The board. I mean, I so. think, you know, they've done reports. Yeah, they've done a lot of good work. Yeah, they have. And, you know, listen, on a personal note, Europe Comics, always at New York Comic Con every year, I yes. do a European comics, a cartoonist panel, and Nazali mm-hmm. would help me get amazing guests. Sure. I had, uh, you know, Zepp on there, one of the world's most oh, famous cartoonists, you know, the Charles Schultz of France. They were at San Diego. Oh, yeah. They were at, um, they were at SPX. Yeah, they TCAF. were at MOCA. They were, they, look, yeah. they got a grant to do things. Yeah. And they did it, and yeah. it was great while it lasted. Yeah. So, well, speaking of French comics, uh, let's see, yeah. what's next on our list of woe here? Well, uh, heavy metal. Yeah. Okay. Who, yes. Ca- Calvin, have you been following that story at all? Well, I've, I've, uh, tired guy. I, well, yeah. <laughs> Well, we certainly did a, a sort of roundup story about independent publishers who were having problems uh, at the end of the year, and Heavy Metal was one of them. Obviously, they've had some issues around paying their authors. Uh, I had a conversation, interview with um, Matthew Medney, Medney <laughs> uh, a CEO of Heavy Metal and an artist uh, published by them. Uh, but the most recent news, of course, in the last few days is that, uh, well, Heavy Metal went into a kind of an in-house reorganization, financial reorganization, restructuring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just recently, uh, Medney has stepped down uh, as CEO. Yes. And so my understanding, and as you know, sometimes here on the podcast, I say things a little more spicy than I do in print. Um, <laughs> my understanding is that there is a uh, Heavy Metal is owned by shareholders. Shareholders, mm-hmm. not a public company, but it's basically various folks. Uh, you know, have shares in it and, you know. Yes, and, uh, my understanding is that, uh, maybe the other shareholders did not want him to stick around. I think that's so pretty clear. I think that's yeah. pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, but just, you know, to put it out there. Yeah. So the I mean, new- He's still a partner. He is still a partner. And let me see, the new guy is a fella by the name of, uh. Yeah, I don't know. I know, I should know. Sorry, I'm making noises, Kate. I know you hate that. Uh. Huh, he didn't really. Marshall Lees and J- Jamie Penrose. Marshall Lees will be the new CEO. Now he did a little interview. He put out a statement. He did a little interview with our Bridget Alverson at ICV2 and talked a little bit. Now, if you're a regular listener, you might recall that when we first talked about these issues, Calvin literally got a text while we were doing the podcast, <laughs> you know, with breaking news. And I also had some things that I said I couldn't reveal or, you know, I couldn't confirm. But this interview kind of confirms everything, which is that basically all the employees at Heavy Metal have been on unpaid yeah. furlough yeah. since the beginning, the middle of December. Yes. Good Lord. Yeah. So that's not good. Yeah. Which he reported, but also he reported with the kind of rose-colored glasses yeah. that somehow everybody was coming back. Yeah. They put it in terms of, quote-unquote, an extended holiday. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah. Oh my God, I would like to do yeah. it. Oh, I'm not getting paid. <laughs> yeah, this is no holiday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we don't really know. They are continuing to reorganize. Now I've heard a lot of nice things about Marshallese. Um, sounds like yeah. you know he's really honest in this ICV too. Very forthright and forth. And you know, I I've talked to a couple of heavy metal creators. You know, we're a little short on time of this episode, so I'm not going to go on. But let me just say Matthew Mendy did some things that were very controversial. Uh, and I think the transparency that Lee's is coming into this with is probably what is needed to gain the trust of the creative community again. But, you know, I think heavy metal is a fantastic brand. Mm. And uh, I think it will rise to the ashes in some way. Uh, but, you know, it's a tough climate right now. Yeah. yeah. It may need to be reincarnated, though. Well, we're going to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whew, let's see. How, who else do we have? Uh, <laughs> well, let's see. Well, um, well, there's a what, what? What's this study of Korean? Um, oh well, yes. Now this uh, might be the most creators? saddest story of all. Uh, this is uh, there was a Korean study of webtoons creators. Now we want to make it clear, as I did in my story. That uh, webtoon is the generic term yeah. for mobile yeah. scrolling comics. Okay, yes. line the webtoon. It's is- like it's like Kleenex or Xerox. It is both a brand and a category. Yes, and so so you know, line webtoon is as if a company called itself you know comics, yeah. and so so. But I'll I'll call it line webtoon in for the purposes of this, just to make sure that you understand what I'm saying here. Uh but uh, yeah, this uh, study. Surveyed Korean webtoon creators and who make as little as $400 a year, okay, which is obviously they're either kids who live at home or something. <laughs> or it's their second job. Or their second job. Uh, says the average income, 6.5 said their income was $1,600. Uh, but those aren't the disturbing statistics, as disturbing as there. Uh, 28.7% of webtoon writers that responded to the survey have depression compared to the national average of 7%. That's four times. Uh, 17% had suicidal thoughts. I mean, 8% planned it, 4 tried it. National averages being 10%, 2%, 1% respectively. Mm. So, uh, just a horrible list of, you know, sleep disorders, yeah. dry eye syndrome, anxiety. Now, yeah. you know, and, and uh, yeah. yeah, the artist of Roxana, a comic I actually know, a, a pretty big comic, mm-hmm. suffered a miscarriage and, and, you know, it was said that it was due to overwork and editorial pressure. Mm-hmm. And so she has halted the series, uh, perhaps forever, perhaps temporarily. Due to the health issues. Yeah, and not only that, uh, thank you for, for bringing that up, Kate, but um, apparently she wrote a long uh, thread in Korean, obviously she is Korean, and um, said that, uh, you know, after she had this miscarriage, they were like, oh, you got to, are you going to hit your deadline? And then she found out that her editor was going away on maternity leave, and I think that's what pushed her i mean as if you know losing your baby is what uh, obviously so tragic but when she found out that her editor had maternity leave and she didn't yeah um she just said you know what the hell with this and thank you know good for her good for her i mean one thing i mean we talk about the serialized nature of webtoons and the number of updates they come out with and the regularity yes each update is shorter than a floppy comic, but one 
the crew on a webtoon is much smaller uh-huh. than the crew on right. a uh, major American comic. And unlike um, manga, webtoons are full color. And they are beautiful. And just the amount of work this very small team needs to put in to make one installment. And they're typically coming out with like two installments a week. Yeah. Um, so they are doing at least as many pages as an American comic for far less pay um, with just fewer people. And arguably maybe slightly more pages, depending on how many pages a particular comic has in their particular updates. It varies. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I can see how the workload is very Uh, intense. I mean... We already know that the manga, the manga industry, the Japanese Japanese manga industry has a a long reputation for just an abusive work environment. But but this has the... Obviously, this is Korea. This is a little different in that this is... This is um, one of those things where how, you know, how sometimes making someone a freelancer or telling them that they're private contractors, you can actually exploit them more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. A a manga creator is on salary. Uh-huh. You're right. A webtoon creator is creating on spec. Yep. Mm-hmm. It all depends on how much engagement they get. Yeah. On the upside, it means no, that you don't right. have to fight for a contract. On the downside, it means you don't have a contract. Mm-hmm. Not really, not a yeah. salaried one. There's no such thing as an advance. So, you know, it's, it's you eat what you kill. And unfortunately, you know, for everything that rises to the top, there's things that don't. But unlike in American, like, super indie comics... It sounds like there's still a lot of um, editorial pressure and control in the way that there isn't if you're, you know, doing your own web comic on your own website or you're publishing out of your basement. Well, you know, we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, and um, you, it's you, like Uber. Yeah, you're very, very, but uh, you know, we hear all these gaudy statistics from the publishers, from Webtoon and Tapas, and the new ones like Manta. That's mm-hmm. coming in to Happy Tune. A lot more Webtoon uh, platforms are coming to America. You know, they all have, you know, 53 million users a month. And, you know, we paid out $100 million over the last five years and whatever. But we really, you know, just what the working conditions of the creators are, how they make money, how mm-hmm. many make money. There's, we haven't heard that story Any yet. Any kind of transparency about terms, uh, mm-hmm. traffic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, let's put it this way. I don't think it's an inherent problem in the platforms or an inherent problem in the concept. But I do think that this is a sign that, you know, clearly some of the way it's managed needs to change. We need to, we need more scrutiny on this. Mm-hmm. We really do. Because uh, if you are working on spec, you shouldn't have someone breathing down your neck saying, you can't halt this. Mm-hmm. You have to go on this schedule. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, actually, there's a couple of, talking about this, there's a couple of key comings and goings in the industry mm-hmm. that uh, have happened. Um, you know, Chang Kim, who was the yes. founder of Tapas, which was acquired by Giant Cacao, uh, has actually left the company. Yeah, I'm and, you know, surprised. Now, that, that yeah. is usually but, what happens, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, two years yeah. two years in after an acquisition. Um, I'm hearing maybe, uh, 
he didn't want to go, but um, or you know, was <laughs> not thrilled to way leave. To put it, yeah. But uh, you know, he he's gone. But he says he's going to be doing something new. He is a serial entrepreneur. He says. Right. So this is a Joe Malone situation, clearly. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to point out though that Cacao uh, ICV two just reported that Cacao got uh, something like a nine hundred million dollar investment from Saudi and <laughs> Indonesian investors. Uh, just to put all that $400 that, um, the webtoon makers get a year into perspective. So, uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of money floating around here. I hope some of it goes to the, uh, creators. You know, uh, Chang Kim of Tapas, by all accounts, uh, like David Steinberger, uh, a real entrepreneur, uh, somebody who really has a passion for this space also. Uh, so he, you know, I've heard a lot of people speak very well of him. I'm sure we'll be hearing from him again. And just another one, a friend of the podcast, Peter Tatara, yes. mm-hmm. left as leaving Anime NYC, which he founded to go yes. for a really cool job at the Japan Foundation. Director of film at the yeah. Japan Society. And, you yeah. know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, you, mm-hmm. like we talk about the mic drop. I think Peter just did his own little mic drop because Anime NYC was such a big success. Yeah, yeah I think this might be a work. My work here is done. Yes, good for, and good for him. Good for him. I'll never say that. I, I, I mean, maybe I will. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, and uh, uh, M.K. Goodwin, uh, formerly uh, showrunner at Emerald City, is taking over mm-hmm. at, at, at Anime NYC. Whew. Well, we got an information packed show today. Yeah. Sorry, uh, guys. You know, listen. It's the best of times and the worst of times. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know what? I think you're right. But we'll but see how that plays but, out. Yeah. In but, 2023. but but just to just to reiterate. Graphic novel sales were up last year. Mm. Uh, you know, periodical comics. But maybe next episode, next time we get together, we should talk about that because I've been talking mm. a lot about sales charts, and uh, I advise you all to read up a little bit on it. I think maybe next time we should talk about that because I think the, that's a good idea. Yeah, let's talk, let's about, talk about it next charts. time. But listen, there's a lot more to come on this. A yeah, lot more. Okay, and so there will be more to come. And now I need to tell all of you that it's recording or else I'm going to break a bunch of laws.